Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I'm excited to continue our spiritual lessons from Corey Ten Boom, and I want to go through some of the most life-changing statements that I have gleaned from her messages and books through my life and how they have personally impacted me. And I think this will be just an encouragement to you no matter what season of life you're in. She just had a way of putting God's truth in such a practical, tangible form to grasp and to begin to apply to our lives. Before we jump into that, I wanted to let you know that for the next week, you can enter to win one of 10 full ride scholarships to Ellerslie in 2022. Ellerslie, for those of you who don't know, is our discipleship training program in Windsor, Colorado. And we have week-long programs and five-week programs this year. We would love to welcome you to our beautiful campus and invest into your spiritual life. If you are hungry for a season to come away from the busyness and the distractions of your life and focus primarily on Jesus Christ and becoming grounded in his truth and just enjoying like-minded brothers and sisters from around the world, I invite you to join us at Ellerslie this year for a season of discipleship. And this is a great time to think about joining us when you can enter to win a full ride scholarship. So just go to ellerslie.com and click on the scholarship link to learn more, or you can just click the link in the description of this podcast. Hope to see you sometime this year at Ellerslie. So let's jump into life-changing statements from Corey Ten Boom. These are my favorite quotes that I've either heard in a message that she's given or in a book that she's written, and I want to share the statement and how it personally applied to my life. And the first one is, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And this was a powerful principle in my life when I was in high school. I was really wrestling with this calling that God had placed upon my life to fully surrender everything to him. And I really didn't know what the future would hold if I gave the pen to God and let him script my story. I felt like, well, maybe I can write a better story than he can. I was clinging very tightly to my own expectations of the future. And when I envisioned giving him my hopes and dreams for marriage and my hopes and dreams for different career pursuits and opportunities, my hopes and dreams for friendships and popularity and laying all of that at his feet and saying, Lord, you can do whatever you desire to do. My life is in your hands. It was a wrestling match because I thought, well, you know, God's out to harm me. He is out to make my life miserable. The only reason he wants me to surrender that pen to him is because he wants to write a miserable story for me. But then I really began to study who he was, study who he is in scripture and understand that he is a God of love. He is a God of faithfulness and he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I began to recognize that my future would never be safer, would never be more secure than when it was held in the hands of the one who had given everything just to rescue and redeem me. I remember the moment when I finally began to come to grips with the fact that I could trust God. I could know who he is. I can know his character, his nature, and that he does not change. And I could rely on him completely. I could rest in the fact that he cares more about my future than I ever could. And I remember that moment when I was about 16 years old and I knelt down in my room beside my bed. And one by one, I laid every area on the altar before God, every area of my life that I had been clinging to, my romantic future. Lord, whatever you desire to do in this area of my life, I give it to you. You hold the pen. You script the story. My career slash ministry slash personal pursuits and ambitions, everything I wanted to do with my 
my life. I laid that down at his feet. I said, Lord, you take my future, whatever you desire to do with my future, even if it looks completely different than all the dreams that I've dreamed for myself, I leave that in your hands. My desire for friendships and popularity and a certain kind of lifestyle, Lord, I give that to you. I lay that completely down and I ask that you would bring the right friendships into my life and that you would turn me outward. And whatever you desire to do, even if you desire to take away all of my friends and leave me in obscurity, I know that you will meet all the needs and desires of my heart for companionship. And as I took these steps of laying these areas on the altar one by one before God. It was just incredible because I drew closer in intimacy with him than I had ever been before. He was in control of my life and I wasn't just giving lip service to him anymore saying he was in control. He really did hold the pen. And one thing that I discovered is that every area that I surrendered to him, I was so blessed in that area of my life. It wasn't that it was just the red carpet was rolled out and everything was smooth and perfect from that point forward. But I began to recognize that he really could write a far better story than I ever could. And as he began to take these areas of my life and shape them, I began to recognize his love, his faithfulness, and his power in each one of these areas that I surrendered to him. And Surrender is one of those areas that you can't just do once and be done with it. It's a constant state of the heart. And so on a regular basis, I constantly have to remind myself of that principle. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. It is always safe to lay our future completely at his feet and say, Lord, my life is in your hands because he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never let us down. And I have never regretted for a moment any area that I have fully surrendered to him. The next quote that is one of my favorites is this. She asks a question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And for a lot of us, I think it's our spare tire. It's an afterthought. I remember the season in my life when Eric and I began to recognize that prayer needed to become our steering wheel. It couldn't just be an afterthought. It needed to be the primary tool that we use to gain God's wisdom and to see things happen in our life that we needed to see happen. Breakthroughs come and the enemy pushed back. And we began to recognize that we needed to be praying a lot more specifically and a lot more proactively than we had been doing. And I've shared this story in other podcasts before, but we were going through a season of just a lot of attack from the enemy. And we didn't recognize at first that it was attack, but we really were being hit in the area of health, the area of finances, the area of friendships and relationships and disunity and discord in the body of Christ around us, all of these things. And we began to recognize, you know, this is really an attack from the enemy and we need to be really aggressive and consistent in praying until we see breakthroughs in all of these areas. So instead of just praying kind of these blanket token prayers what that we had been doing, just sort of, Lord, help us get through this hard time, or Lord, bless this area of our life, we began to make a list, and we called it our sacred list, of every single area that we needed to see a spiritual breakthrough in our lives or the lives of those around us. And then we committed to wrestle in prayer, not just sort of give that token lip service prayer, but wrestle in prayer until we saw a breakthrough in each one of those areas. So we begin to spend hours and use our spare time even for long sessions of, of prayer. We had always thought that our spare time should be used for relaxation and movies and things like that. And that's not always wrong. But in this season of our life, God was teaching us how to make him our first turn and how to really build prayer in as a high, high priority in our life and not just kind of keep it on the back burner. And we begin to see incredible things 
things happen. In fact, I would say that Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training ministry, all of the truths that we teach now at Ellerslie flowed out of that season of understanding real prayer, of coming before the throne of God and casting our cares upon him and wrestling to see his purposes accomplished in our lives. We felt his presence so near in that time. We learned so many rich truths from his word experientially, and it was prayer that laid the foundation for that. So everything we teach today came out of that season of of making prayer our steering wheel instead of our spare tire. Another quote of Corey Ten Boom's that I love, she says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And wow, what a convicting quote, because I grew up kind of with this idea that worrying was wisdom. You know, a lot of us feel like if we worry that about this area, we worry about our health, we worry about our education, we worry about our reputation, we worry about our finances, and somehow those areas will be protected because worrying and obsessing over those things will help us be more wise and make better decisions. But in reality, as Corey Ten Boom is saying, it's not going to save us from any heartache in the future. It's only going to empty today of its strength. And Elizabeth Elliot made a similar statement about worry. She says, how many of us are not able to fully invest ourselves into the thing that God has for us in the moment, whether it's a a person, a, a child, a spouse, a friend, we're not able to give ourselves fully to that person or that opportunity to show love to them because our minds are preoccupied with the future worry. They're preoccupied with something that's not our business just now. Even Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. Just deal with what I've given you today. I've given you grace for today. Focus on today. And so understanding that worry is not equivalent to wisdom, even though the world will try to tell us that, worry is giving into fear, and that is going against God's pattern. So I walked through a whole process in my life where I learned how to overcome that gripping weight of fear in my life, where fear had a grip, a control on me, and I didn't feel like I could ever be free from it. But when I went to the word of God and I cried out to him to deliver me from fear, and I began to build my life around truth instead of worry, and I stopped listening to those cultural messages that says, oh, you need to worry about your reputation, worry about your future, worry about your career, worry about your money, worry about your health. And that that's what will protect you. I, I silenced that voice. And every time a worry would try to creep into my mind, I would replace that thought with truth from the word of God. That is what set me free from that pattern of worry. So if that's something that has you in its grip, please know you can be free from that. It's a matter of saying, I'm not going to accept worry in my life anymore. I'm going to replace fearful thoughts with God's truth. And it may take a while. It was a season for me of overcoming that grip of fear. But God's ways are perfect and his truth will triumph over fear if we continue to build our lives around his pattern and not the pattern of the world. Another quote that Corey Ten Boom often said that I love is this, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I think one of the biggest lies that the enemy uses in our lives oftentimes is that it's too late for us. We've made too many mistakes. We've we've blown it. God can't forgive us. His love can't reach us. We're in a too dark of a place. I remember feeling this way when Eric was first coming into my life and I was first getting to know him and I was catching a vision for the purity and the beauty of a God-written love story. 
and even wondering, you know, is this something that God could do between this this godly man and myself? But then looking at my past and feeling like, you know, I'm so unworthy of a God-written love story. And I don't feel like God could do that for me now. And I can't forgive myself for things that I've done in the past. And maybe you've said those words or thought those words, but really God isn't asking us to forgive ourselves. We are to receive his forgiveness. We are to agree with his word. And when we repent and turn from our sin, his word says that he takes our sin away from us as far as the east is from the west. And that when he sees us, he no longer sees that sin attached to us. He casts that sin into the depths of the sea. And as Corey Ten Boom often said, and then he posts a sign, no fishing allowed. Once that sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus, we're not to dredge it back up and examine it and think about it and obsess over it. We need to recognize that no matter how far we fall, no matter how regretful we are over mistakes that we've made in the past, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So it's not about forgiving ourselves. It's about agreeing with the word of God and receiving the forgiveness that he offers us. Another statement I love from Corey Ten Boom is this, there is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans for our lives. And this is a principle you see often throughout Christian history. Some of my greatest Christian heroes lived according to this pattern. I remember Amy Carmichael's story when she first arrived as a young woman, probably in her early 20s, as a young missionary to Japan. She was just off this ship. She had had an awful trip over there where she had had to uh, abandon one ship and go on a little tugboat to get to shore just to get to safety. And it had been this nauseating ride where everyone got seasick, including her. And she she arrived in Japan with her luggage exhausted, drained, fatigued. She had just been in this harrowing situation on the sea. And she sat down with her her luggage and was supposed to have a missionary was supposed to have met her there but nobody showed up and so she was in a foreign country couldn't speak the language everyone looking at her strangely this english woman with a big you know british outfit big hat on her head and, and had all these like hoop skirts and like you know clothing that looked completely different from the women in japan and all these trunks and and baggage and everything and nobody was there to meet her and she couldn't communicate with anyone. And then it started to rain. So she's drenched and soaked and alone and didn't know where to go or what to do. And of course, this is long before the days when you could call, there, were, there weren't even telephones, so you couldn't just go call somebody. And it said, she said that she decided to laugh at the situation and to wait to see what the angels would do. And I love that perspective because most of us would panic in a situation like that. And she said, God is holding me in the hollow of his hand. He doesn't have, this is not a problem to him. He has a plan in this. And sure enough, God miraculously brought someone to her and she got where she needed to go. And you see that in Gladys Aylward's story. You see that in the lives of so many missionaries. So as we look around us in the world today and we see a lot of reasons to maybe panic or worry or wonder, you know, how is God going to solve this? To remember, he does not have problems. He does not see these things as problems. He has plans and he can use the most impossible situations to showcase his faithfulness in the most powerful ways. I've seen that in my own life time and time again. There have been times when in, in 
in our ministry at Ellerslie where it just didn't seem like we had any way to continue forward. And it was a very big problem in our mind. But whenever we've chosen to say, okay, God, this isn't a problem to you. Show us the plans you have through this crisis or this difficulty. God has been faithful every single time. And another quote I love from Corey Ten Boom, she says, when I try, I fail. When I trust, he succeeds. And this is a life-changing truth in my life, learning to lean on the enabling grace of God. So for example, when you read Proverbs 31 as a woman, you can easily look at that list of, hey, this lady is amazing. She rises before the sun comes up. She makes all these incredible clothing pieces and she's a businesswoman. How in the world could I ever rise up to that standard? But when you look at the words of Proverbs 31 as a promise where God can equip you to become a mighty, virtuous woman of strength and dignity, it happens not by effort, not by trying to rise up to that, but by surrendering to him and leaning on his enabling grace. That has been such a game changer for me to understand. Lord, I can't, but you can. So if I'm trying and straining and trying to rise up to something, I'm going to fail. When I try to live out the impossible commands of scripture in my own strength, I'm going to fall flat on my face. When I trust, when I lean on his enabling grace to equip me to do what I could never do in my own strength, that is when he succeeds. That is when the victorious Christian life becomes truly possible in any man or any woman who leans on his enabling grace. Grace is so much more than the hug or the favor of God. It's his power working within us, the power of Christ in us to do what we absolutely cannot do on our own. Another quote I love from Corey Ten Boom is this, forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. We don't need to wait for warm fuzzies in order to forgive someone. It's important that we simply take the step of obedience and let God supply the feelings of love and grace toward that person. And Corey Ten Boom has an incredible story about this that I've shared on other podcasts where she was face to face with one of the Nazi guards that had been very cruel to herself and her sister when they were in the concentration camp. And it was after the war and she was traveling around and sharing stories about God's love and forgiveness and offering hope to people whose lives had been destroyed by choices they made during the war. And here she comes face to face with this Nazi guard from the prison she was kept in. And he didn't recognize her, but she very much recognized because he had been one of the most cruel guards in that prison. And he extended his hand to her and he said, I'm so happy to know that God can even forgive me for the things that I've done. I want to extend my hand to you in friendship and ask you on behalf of my people, if you will forgive us for the things we did during the war. And she couldn't even lift her hand because all of the bitterness, all of the anguish that he had caused in her life came flooding back. And she said to God, okay, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. I'm going to take the step of obedience. You supply the feeling. So she lifted her hand to shake his hand as an act of obedience, not because she felt warm fuzzies toward him at all, but as she took that step of obedience, God flooded her heart with incredible love towards this man who had been her enemy. And that is what God does. I've, I've experienced that in my own life when I say, Lord, I don't feel this gracious, warm, warm, 
huggy feeling toward this person who has hurt me, but I know you've asked me to forgive them. So out of obedience, I choose to forgive them, to not hold this over them, to not turn this over in my mind, to completely let it go, to lay that grievance at your feet and give it completely to you. And every time I have done that, it's been incredible to see how God gives me his supernatural love toward the person that I've chosen to forgive. So take the step of obedience and let God supply the feeling. And the last quote that I want to share with you is this, faith is like radar that sees through the fog, the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Faith sees through fog. And what an incredibly important quote for a time like this, when we feel like there's fog and and just lack of clarity and uncertainty all around us. And we see people around us kind of stumbling around in darkness, faith sees things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. It reminds me of that incredible story in scripture of Elisha and his servant when the Syrian army came against them to attack them. Things did not look good. And the servant woke up early in the morning and saw the entire Syrian army coming against himself and his master, Elisha. And he says to Elisha, what shall we do? What are we going to do? This is a terrible situation. But he could only see what the human eye could see. He wasn't seeing the reality of things according to heaven. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And suddenly the servant's eyes were open and he saw the, the reality of heaven. He saw the mountainside covered with horses and chariots of heaven. And he recognized, wow, we don't have a problem here. The Syrian army may seem big, but God's power, God's army, God's supply of strength towards us is so much greater. And the story of how God rescued Elisha that day from an entire army is absolutely incredible. But he had those eyes of faith to see through the fog, do we? And that quote constantly reminds me to not just look at what I can see in the natural human realm, but to look to the word of God, to his truth, to his reality, and build my life upon that rather than what I'm seeing all around me. So whichever of these quotes stand out to you specifically with whatever you're going through today, I pray that you would take this before God and say, Lord, make this principle real in my life. These principles are going to look differently in how they're applied to each one of us, but all of them are based on biblical truth, and biblical truth can reach us no matter where we are at, no matter what circumstances we are in. So if you go to God and say, Lord, make this principle of forgiveness real in my life, or make this principle of your enabling grace real in my life, or this principle of making prayer the highest priority of my life real in my life. That is something God will do. That is something he delights to do. He loves to answer prayers like that. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a Christ-centered life, I invite you to visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.